good, good day to all the parishioners of St. George and Marks and St. Monica's. I trust you all are doing as well as you can under the circumstances, looking after yourselves and your families, and that you have enough provisions to see you through. Um, I, I know that um, one of the things uh, when we get through this by God's grace that you will notice is my hair has grown, grown a whole lot longer. Uh, because I haven't been to the barber since before the the uh, lockdown. So changes will happen to all of us. Hopefully we won't become too fat by snacking too much. But this is the order of service for the Holy Week, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. And it has to, I've, we've, uh, Lindsay and I had worked it out that we will do it in the three days. Um, uh, breaking up the stations so that each day we have some focus of the stations of the cross. The stations that I'm using um, start is focused around the scriptural stations, um, and we'll talk about that later. But just to start you off and us off in a sense of worship with the, the words of this in the first verse, and you can connect to the tune. Um, in the link I've given. Sweet the moments, rich in blessing, which before the cross I spend, life and health and peace possessing from the sinner's dying friend. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Christ, Christ, have mercy. Have mercy. Lord, have mercy. We will glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is our salvation, our life and resurrection. Let us pray by first holding a moment of silence. Assist us mercifully with your help, O Lord God, of our salvation, that we may enter with joy upon the contemplation of those many acts whereby you have given us life and immortality through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the special Stations of the Cross episodes of St. George's Rod and Staff podcast, the official podcast of St. George, the martyr of Cales River Parish. I am joined as always, as he has led us in so beautifully, by the venerable Father Rodney Whiteman. My brothers and sisters, let us now in silence prepare ourselves to take the next um, few steps with Jesus to the cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. A reading from John 19, verses 1 to 3. Then Pilate took Jesus and whipped him. The soldiers made a crown of thorny branches and put it on his head. Then they put a purple robe on him and came to him and said, 
Long live the king of the Jews. And they went up and slapped him. And so it stops, Lindsay, at a very dramatic um, climax mm-hmm. where I wonder what their pleasure was in slapping someone whom they now mocked as a king and the king of the Jews, a king of an oppressed people. Uh, mm. A people whose land was taken over and whose life was sanctioned by the Roman government. What pleasure would these soldiers have had in the disrespect that they showed? And again, the, the law of the time gave them sanction to do this. Mm. And as we spoke about it last night, they belonged to an army where they were deployed for the Roman purposes. And yeah. if this was... So they weren't they weren't treating Jesus because they disrespected Jesus per se, but they they disrespected him because he was a Jew, he was an oppressed person, one under them, and perhaps in in keeping the in doing this to him as a Jew, they would be saying this to all Jews: you better keep yourself in your place. Um, because this is how much we, our laws give us the right to treat you in this way. But then you also so, think about the, the stories that they were hearing about Jesus at that time, where sure. this is now a Jew who is standing up and saying that, like, Emperor Tiberius isn't the be-all and end-all, you know? Right, right. And right. it was them just kind of maybe interacting with, with that that pantomime that that had been built up around around Jesus' character. Um, sure. yeah, it I, would I, be interesting. It would be interesting to find out what the actual narrative of their mindset was in terms of the stories that they heard about him as you mm-hmm. as you raised, yeah. yeah I, I, I tried to draw some comparisons to to what's happening now where you have the armed forces on our streets and um, maybe not acting as as kindly as the president had asked them to. Uh, like there was there, there was a big moment where there was a soldier who shot the dog. I forget where he was, like in Cape Town, but yeah, evidence you could see the dog clearly like charging. At, and I mean, in those sorts of I, I, I'm a firm believer that like the owner is responsible for the dog's well-being. So why yeah. was the dog out in the street in the first place? Um, yeah. So there, this is a little bit of sympathy that I have. Because, I mean, at the time, they were facing probably daily uprisings in various sections, and it was guerrilla warfare happening. So they walking around kind of with a, with a target on their backs because they're wearing um, their armor and like their uniform where they don't know the forces who they are fighting. So any comeuppance that they can have against their own, I know it's weird to say oppression, um, would have probably brought them a lot of joy. Yeah, well, look, they, they were molded through their training. They were, mm. it was, there was a propagation about the enemy and all of that sifting to their minds. But there's also the human factor of common sense. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, an attack of a dog, for example, your first thing is to either fight or flight. And mm. in bear training, this is dangerous, so they would do something. And the danger here, which didn't seem as imminent, but which had to be quelled in their mind was, should they have set Jesus free? Should they mm. not have disrespected him like this, then what would be the next step of the Jewish people? So, so there must have been a lot of things going on through them, uh, together with the narratives that they had probably heard uh, about Jesus, but also their own training would have um, said, this is the way you treat this person because our law dictates it. If we don't, then we're going to be not, we're not going to be able to manage the situation. Like an example of it. But it's also interesting, um, uh, and I know I'm dwelling a bit here. Uh, Pilate wasn't the one who condemned Jesus to death. He no. handed him back the people who brought him forward to be judged so that they could do what they wished. Yeah. Well, look, I think on the, on the he said whip him, beating mm. And and that was job done. I satisfied the law. I don't mm. necessarily see this man in the same vein that you do. But when they kept saying, crucify him, crucify him. Um, and, and perhaps, and they took it to the next level where they were saying, you know, are you truly um, going to allow this man to cause the chaos we think he's causing and satisfy Tiberius, the emperor. Would Tiberius want unrest? So mm. eventually he was persuaded uh, to then say, because it looked they, they, they as, the, as, the, as the Sanhedrin had no power to condemn him to death in yeah. terms of the execution. They could condemn him to death in terms of the law of Moses, but then stoning would not have been allowed because they didn't have that part of the law in their hands. So, so yes, um, Pilate was conflicted. Um, you know, and and you know, another another part of the gospel narrative from another gospel would say that his wife had had some nightmares about Jesus, and had tried mm -hmm. to help him understand. Don't don't. Don't do what these people are wanting you to do to this man. So he must have been pretty conflicted and still having to hold the poise of power. Um, you know, he had to give the impression, I am still in charge, because that's what uh, world leaders in their own minds have to do. I mean, right now, for example, the, the way that the, the president is in charge is... Um, saying, you know, there's a decree, and if you go out of line, then this is what will happen to you. In Delft, for example, I read yesterday a clip, um, social, uh, not social media, the news, where a six-year-old child was fined 1,500 rand for playing outside in the street. Oh, wow. <laughs> and his father had held it up. So, so 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 settle for the for the for the for the common good is saying if I don't um, stop the 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 so-called minor um, um, rebellion against the decree I've given in lockdown, mm. 
then this is going to go out of control. So in this particular thing, that's what they were trying to do. They, they really didn't know what to do with Jesus. I mean, mm. let's, uh, let's face it, they really did not know what to do with Jesus. They'd not uh, encountered somebody like him. Uh, the people that normally went to Calvary to be crucified were criminals, truly, because mm. that's what they did. I mean, they, they had, they had uh, Barabbas. Barabbas was an uh, insurrectionist. Yeah. And, in, and, 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 and they saw Jesus as even being more dangerous than Barabbas. Mm. Even the people who followed the law of Moses, which were probably satisfied at one stage that Barabbas was uh, in prison because he had he would cause embarrassment and hurt to the people because of his insurrection, insurrectionist behavior. However, mm. he must have been seen, Jesus must have seemed more dangerous than this insurrectionist. So what is more dangerous than an insurrectionist against a state? So who is Jesus? Again, we come to that question. In the face of a political court, in the face of soldiers that are abusive, because that's, the, that's their job. Um, and yet we hear no squeal of unfair coming from Jesus' lips except just to receive and endure the punishment of unproven crime. Mm. He, he was guilty of being whom God called him to be for the world. And the world could not understand that. And so would, that, would our call then as we follow Jesus be to learn by his spirit to endure under adverse circumstances and still maintain the faith mm. uh, by following him. That's the challenge we have coming out of here because there's no doubt in my mind that um, the, those who follow Jesus and his kingdom stands in square opposition to the kingdoms of the world that whose values are power, oppression, and greed. Mm. While it's the kingdom of, of God is about love and forgiveness and truth and community. Mm. And, and so, should I go on to do the prayer for this section? Yes. Okay. yes. So let us pray together, my sisters and brothers. Lord Jesus, Teach me how to endure when I am powerless against adverse circumstances. We pray also for all victimized and threatened to silence. We pray for those victimized by the gang of mindless people. We pray for those whose scars remind them of the violence they were forced to endure. And the words of the verse of the hymn that I've chosen to conclude this station is so evident in, for me in that prayer and in this station, cross of Christ, cross of sorrow, where the blood of Jesus shed. It's a pretty grim picture.
Mm. But that's the station Jesus was scourged and he was crowned with thorns. And then moving on to, to the next one, which, which Jesus then takes up the cross. Yeah. So as we consider this, and um, if you're able to have the icon in front of you, and we look at the strain that it does place on Jesus's physical body, and in the picture, the evidence of the blood pouring from his uh, head now, we are able still to say, we adore you, O Christ. And we bless you because by your holy cross, you have redeemed the world. And so we read John 19 from verse 6 and then 15 to 17. And in this narrative, um, the soldiers put the cross of, onto Jesus's back and shoulders. And right now, we don't hear anything coming from his lips or mouth. Not a groan, not a sigh um, of the bitter cup that he spoke about in the Garden of Gethsemane. He receives, he receives the symbol of punishment and execution on our behalf. It's amazing how, how going closer to the cross, the soldiers become even more... Um, more um, prominent in the picture mm. and um, and how and how he had to um, bear it himself at that stage knowing that the weight of the cross though symbolic uh, of death and of the crime mm. the, could not outweigh the burden of the sin of humanity um, against their creator and against themselves and against creation because there was evidence that the wages of sin brought death within the population of humanity and the destruction of the earth and God's creation. So sin's burden, we, we, will, we will not be able to even imagine because it far outweighs the burden of a wooden cross. And yet the symbolism of the cross helps us to reflect on the burden of sin in Jesus. But then, so I've always had a problem with with the the sin at this stage because you have original sin, which was the birth of human understanding as we know it, which is the Adam and Eve and the apple thing, and then. We had Moses, who then tried to lead people to a new kind of dawn and unite people um, with a 
singular kind of philosophy like the and then i'm i'm always a bit concerned as to like what the great sin was that jesus then conquered yeah if you can yeah sure you know when we go to our prayer book um and look under the chapter on confession and absolution mm. what the introduction there tells us and informs us about is there's almost four four categories um where in fact sin is seen as disobedience mm. against god and 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 therefore has consequences for the fact that in our disobedience we then sin against god we the result of that is we sin against ourselves and the result of that is we sin against others and the result of that we sin against creation so disobedience led to destruction of relationships destruction of beauty um and um one of the things that that when we go back to the to the garden narrative mm-hmm. um god comes into the garden um looking for adam seeking fellowship with adam mm-hmm. whom he had just said you know eat everything of the garden except yeah. that tree so when adam then um ate of of the fruit that eve had brought um that particular uh, this disobedience against what god had indicated to him made made him break fellowship with god because when god was looking for him he was hiding and he mm-hmm. was covering up um so what kind of relationship therefore did god desire of those whom he made in his own image so if our response to our response to our creator is one of obedient love mm. um because we were made in love and when we when we when we disobey that when fellowship is broken relationships are distorted and shattered a parent for example in order to guide their children need a responsive obedience from their children so that they could then continue to shape and form them in the way that we believe they should go given our own experience as parents mm. and our limited experience as parents and also our own um, formation as people so mm. if if it it's okay that my child must obey me in order for me to help him be formed in the proper way then shouldn't i realize how important that was when god made us for himself mm. so when we break or be dis- when we come disobedience and we and we turn on god and we just say that god your word means nothing to us your word does not give life will eat of the tree because we want uh, you know um this the the story says that the snake said god was lying to you mm. because he want didn't want you to get you see he didn't want you to be like him this is the problem when we disobey god who made us for himself we then say 
something else is God. So, so the world was, was made to be good when God said what he made was good. The intention was always for good. And that's what you, you enjoy with your children don't know how to be disobedient yet <laughs> until they develop their own mind, which comes up against yours, and they're two years old or one years old, where they start <laughs> saying, it's mine. How yeah. do we deal with that? You know, so for me, that, that description in our prayer book helps me to understand, and going back to the narrative in the garden, uh, it's as simple and yet as 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 complicated as what broke the fellowship relationship between God and Adam. What so, was the original sin that still plagues us, and why we need ongoing pen penitence and confession? But with that, that. I've always been uncomfortable with the, the Old Testament depiction of God as a jealous father figure who always... And lover, him. and lover. And lover, but mostly, <laughs> mostly <laughs> destructive. <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of rules, like he's quite... Uh, 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 yeah, it's always uncomfortable <laughs> for me that he's always depicted as having insecurity. Because the rules that he makes up and the laws that must be obeyed come from a very insecure place if you if you dissect it as a as a human. Uh, but what I then enjoy about the philosophy of Jesus and what he then brought as the new commandment and through his entire journey, the sins that he addressed in his career <laughs> leading up to the yeah. cross um, were 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 very interesting things. So he he. He tried to stop people judging each other. Um, he he converted a tax collector, for instance. He stopped the people from stoning, um, who is now known as Mary. And yeah, it was all. And the 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 wisdom he left us with is to love one another as he loved. So you look at all the things that he acted out against. Even after arriving in Jerusalem, going to the temple, and then chasing all the gamblers and and those guys out of his father's house, which was the first time he really acted in anger, um, which is also telling about the, the moment he was dealing with, because this is like leading up to the crucifixion. He was probably under a lot of stress, <laughs> like personally. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's it's refreshing to see that even going through this sort of violent ordeal that the sins that he was trying to cleanse the world of were more just trying to get people back to the interpersonal relationships and treating other people with, with respect, you know? Yeah, I think just two things I want to add there. Uh, one would be that we, when we re reflect on God, literally can only reflect on God through anthropo anthropological understanding. Mm. That yeah. is why lots of our language about God is human. Yeah. So, so when we think of jealousy, it's not as if jealousy in God is mm. um, as destructive as, 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 as our jealousy may be. It's just a way of saying, how does God feel when 
these people reject him whom he has shown so profound love to. So anthropological uh, interpretation of God is a very important key to the way we do it. But we realize when we do so, there's mystery we can't even give words to, not in this life or for eternity in terms of our understanding. And the thing, the second thing would be, Len um, uh, started in Ash Wednesday with the... Um, with the 40 days Jesus went into the desert. And what was the temptations he was caused, called to, to um, face? And right at the end, he says, because this is where Satan was wanting him to go towards. Uh, it, and, and this was done in the world. Satan was trying to get him to say, you know, bow down to me because I'm the prince of this world. And if yeah. you do this, I'll get all of this. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because really, it's about worshiping God. And my true identity as the son of God is to worship him. And worship is communion with God. Mm. Worship is adoration. Worship is gratitude and thanksgiving. That's why we are the Eucharistic people. We are Mm. people of the great thanksgiving. Um, and so God comes to restore. That's the mission of the church. The catechism teaches us in Jesus, God comes to restore our relationship with him and with each other because sin destroyed that and distorted um, and gives it a shattered image. So, um, so in a way, Tapping into this particular, he, Jesus bears the cross. Jesus um, goes back, we go back to the Ash Wednesday and say, why did he bear the cross? Because ultimately, sin caused us to no longer worship God, no longer have that love, because worship is our, our, our responsive love to God's love for us. And the weight of that, where love, has been has been tainted because of our disobedience. I'll just add one little thing. Um, I I like that whole idea of of the communion with God because yeah. we are all then created in God's image. Uh, it's then recognizing that in other people and having that love and communion with other people. That yeah. Absolutely. And, and, this, and this virus is showing us that that is what we crave for now in social distancing and some probably in social isolation because they live by themselves. We crave communion to perhaps end from my side this um, uh, point where he bears the cross by the words of St. Augustine when he says this, Lord, you have made us for yourself and we are yours and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. And Lord, how we find our rest in you, this is my own words, is because Jesus was willing to bear the cross to make it possible for us to cross over again into fellowship with you. Amen. Amen.
And I'm, I've chosen a favorite chorus there that uh, people would relate to, Komkniel Bedi Kreis, which um, is very much something that people warm up to. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, it talks about the, the cross that Jesus bears as a meeting place for the sinner and the Savior. Um, mm -hmm. A crucial meeting place, um, and 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 it's um, incredible that I I don't even know who wrote this chorus, but in that person's mind was the the cross is an invitation, and our response to the cross that Jesus bears is we we could the 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 the, the um the posture of adoration and gratitude and humility is kneel, mm. kneel before God. Uh, amazing. Um, when you declared your love for Monique, the gesture would always be that you don't sit or stand when you're asking her to marry you. You kneel before her. That was the traditional way of um, paying respect to the one that you love. Yeah. Uh, so I bring that into the frame too. Cool. <laughs> Moving on to the very interesting tale of a man who was just kind of going about his business and being a silent observer who was then drawn into one of the most memorable journeys in history. Well, I think you are definitely right. And one of the, the things that draw us to Simon is that he was from Africa. Mm. Um, and uh, given our own e experience of uh, the so-called uh, banning of our Africanness, uh, being part of this continent where... Um, it was denigrated to second and third class citizenry, uh, where it was seen as something to be disgusted about. Um, something that if we stood up for, we'd be ending up in prison because it would be a crime to almost hold on to our Africanness. And mm. it's sad that many, many colored folk grew up um, through generations rejecting their Africanness. Yeah. And and this ties us to Simon because in this um, station, which is the, the eighth station, um, Africans can find themselves as part of this journey uh, uh, that uh, may be unbeknown to the soldiers. Mm. Simon's tall presence uh, attracted them in such a way. And of course he was well, he supposedly was dark-skinned. Yeah. The, the jury is still out on that one in the research I did because um, the East ethnicity wasn't, wasn't known per se because why was he in Jerusalem? Was he a Jew living in Libya or like, like Libya? Or was he somebody that was like a Libyan um, who had become proselytized towards the, the Jewish faith. 
We don't know. The fact that he traveled from Libya to to Jerusalem is an indication that he may have had some either he was a businessman or somebody that was affluent in his own country, or he did that as a way of uh, part of his job. We don't know. The jury is still out of that. But what well, we do know is that he was there. We can go back to the Babylonian conquest and yeah. how, because there were Jews then taken through Babylon and then passed around throughout, kind of like what, what Genghis Khan did with, with his Mongol Empire. Yeah. Yeah. scholars yeah. would be moved around the empire to go and establish cities. Yeah. So then the Greeks, after it would have been Alexander had then conquered Babylon, and the Greek city would have then spawned in Libya. Or at least everything would have been turned over to the Macedonians and by way of that through the Greeks. And yeah, there's a lot of historical... And you would have had like a community of Jews <laughs> out in out in Libya, and they actually had a, a a synagogue in Jerusalem as well. Yeah, 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 that's correct. Yeah. So Jesus is helped by Simon to carry the cross. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Mark 15, 21 reads, On the way, they met a man named Simon, who was coming into the city from the country, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Included in this verse, uh, we are informed that Simon was from Cyrene and was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Uh, who are prominent names in the first Christian uh, communities. Um, and so the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Obviously, at this time, uh, they could see Jesus being weighed down by the burden of the cross. I mean, you've just, you've just been brutalized. You've had the agony in the garden, you've been arrested, you've gone to trial, there's no rest given for you, your body must be weak. And I think it's important for us to notice that um, the, to get in touch with the humanity of our Lord um, on this journey for us, uh, showed truly how he embraces our weaknesses, our um, physical inadequate, in, in, inadequacies and our disabilities. Um, uh, emotionally, physically, and, and in all other kinds of ways. And also that it's not ashamed when help is needed. Jesus did not reject Simon. He did not put up a fight. Uh, the, 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 the icon I chose depicts him, uh, Simon and him walking together. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and, and the, the theme of this icon says he, Simon helped Jesus to carry it. So Jesus was still carrying it. All that happened was Simon now was forced to shoulder the burden with him. Um, and again, also here, you know, I, I always find it amazing when the scriptural texts tell us about a person 
who's doing something but never saying anything. Yeah. Um, Simon understood, as it were, the context. This was not about fighting and rejecting because there was more to it than than um, me just putting up a fight and rejecting being forced. Um, so it would be wonderful to know what was in his mind and in his heart. And when he actually looked at Jesus, what would have been uh, the sense of, of his response to that? The fact that he also walked alongside Jesus carrying the weight of the cross. I mean, can you imagine just the, the fact that their bodies are touching uh, carrying the, the burden. Um, my words, unfortunately, fail me to capture the magnitude of this. Um, so my little mind would say uh, that, in a way, was Simon helping us to understand that as Jesus carries the burden of our sin on, in carrying the cross, we who may think we have no part in it have a part in it. So we have to also recognize ourselves in that journey. Though Simon was helping Jesus to carry the cross, ultimately Jesus was carrying the burden of our sin. And Simon depicts our humanity as well in all of that. Well, I have a, a weird story to add there that kind of ties in with it. But in, in that finding your, your part in a story, um, years ago when I, was, when I was still studying, we had a field trip to the Fuerteca Monument in Victoria. And the guide was obviously taking us through, because the first thing you do is, in the in the entry lobby is freezes all around. I don't know if you've ever been to the Fortress Monument. I've never, never been there, no. But these these beautiful um, marble freezes along the walls that depict now the, the journey of the of the Great Trek. And the I was the only person of color in the group, obviously. Um, okay. Well, at least the, the only brown person in, in the group. <laughs> and now, obviously, you know because you can see like pictures of natives who would have been like black Africans and then you had the fourth records and then the yeah. guide made a point of telling me addressing me directly and saying oh no um, the colored people were there too and she pointed at like two people who were kind of just carrying a pot and a pan walking next to the, the wagon and then it occurred to me at least through a story as well that the coloreds had then left with their masters and who would have been like their parents as well, in many cases, uh, to cook for them on the journey to Pretoria to, to at least their freedom, to escape their supposed persecution. Uh, and like to find a marginalized people to play what is effectively an important role in like nourishing the, the energies of, of the people doing this great trick was, was, was 
quite profound, might be a little bit left of the message we're trying to send right now. But yeah, brown people, colored people were a part of shaping this country. And it might have been what can be considered as a small way, but I think it's a quite important way. I, I certainly believe that because they bore the burden of the oppression. Um, mm. And also, uh, it depends on who tells the story. Yeah. Um, was, was, was she just trying to make you feel included by saying you were also represented on this great trek? No, um, definitely. So, so historians, the person who starts the story, who tells the story from their perspective, obviously have um, either very dictatorial ways or um, recognize that they have to be generous and say, but, you know, we weren't alone in all of this. I think the same thing happens now with the coronavirus. When I listen to some of the news um, coming out and just the other day, some report from somebody who on the end wanted seen a vision of Jesus and indicated to us that we should not, um, be in social distancing and hiding. We should be in church and we should be together and, and all of this kind of thing because this is just uh, an act of the devil uh, that is forcing the church into isolation. So so it depends. And in, in America, there are various people there who are saying, you know, yeah. um, about, about the same thing. So whoever tells the story from their perspective, it's quite interesting to, to yeah, I mean, Via Della Rosa was told from what perspective? Uh, from the Christian perspective. But what he tries to do in terms of this to hold to the biblical narrative, it's quite obvious that there are things that were not included in the narrative uh, because this, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't highlight everything, but that which for you have great meaning. And um, and in this, when we read Simon of Cyrene and we see him being the one brought into the, to the Watson, we need to ask, so what significance would he have had? Um, was God in this? Was there a plan for God that Simon had to be there at that particular juncture of the Via Dolorosa and that um, it was an inspiration given to the soldiers to draw him in when they saw Jesus uh, falling under the weight of the cross. We we don't know. It's our imagination, our trying to understand and also get into uh, the meaning of the story for us. Because look, each station, each step, it has a, has a story on its own but also a story connected to the previous and the the, the forthcoming um, station. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting that you raise that. Um, so, in other words, Liberians could say we were on the road with Jesus, carrying it with him. We've got to be very careful <laughs> that he was. It wasn't exclusive. Yeah. Um, he, he was just given a name, Simon. Somehow they knew him. You know, the narrative knew him. At least the Christian community knew him. So shall I continue? Um, I just want to highlight the call to mission, which made me think of a text that Jesus used in Matthew's gospel. 
teaching the disciples and he says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, wrote um, these words when he said, when God calls a man, he calls him to die. Um, and the cross is a depiction of being called to die. Um, we, we romanticize the cross, earrings and chains, um, but what does the symbol actually mean? Um, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was writing those things under uh, the oppression of Hitler, this was his understanding of uh, discipleship. When God calls a person, calls him to die. So we pray, Lord Jesus, Simon was forced to carry the cross. In so doing, he shared in its weight, its purpose unknowingly. He helped you or so it seems. What are we to learn from this? You did not ask for help, neither did you refuse. You allowed Simon. Is this a calling in following you? That we cannot be true disciples if we refuse sharing in the burden and liberation of the cross. And then moving on to the women of Jerusalem. We adore your Christ and we bless you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. This station is a reflection on Luke 23, verse 27 to 31. And the narrative depicts, as it had been depicting Jesus' journey from the time of his mission and ministry, people in large crowds following him. Mm. And um, it tells us, there were women who were not named, but they were people who mourned and wailed for, for Jesus. Um, Jesus turns to them and says in a very affirming way, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For there's a time that will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nurse. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if People do these things when the tree is green. What will happen when it is dry? Oh, the mystery of that message. I, um, I see in it just a lot of foreshadowing to oppressions still to come. With yeah. Nero and what he would do to the emerging Christians. Um, whether it be world wars, 
or even the time that we're in right now where a uh, YouTube video this morning by there's a cardiologist in the series of of videos and today's one he actually contracted COVID-19 and he ultimately survived um, and he's now in hospitals but he was saying that the hidden the hidden victims are, are the people who are too afraid to go to hospitals for fear of catching the virus or for fear of adding to what is already a a very depressing situation um, where there are more women having home births now unassisted and this is upping the mortality rate slightly him as a cardiologist has seen fewer patients coming in with heart attacks and the little that he has seen have always arrived when it's too late for him to do anything when the damage has already been done because they are more likely to pass off like chest pains, all the symptoms as being indigestion and those sorts of things. So it's, yeah, it's, we, we're in a time now where there's something that is greater than all of us and, and the victims mm. are, are the more vulnerable people. And it comes to a point where it's like, do you want to bring children into this world? Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what I, I get out of, out of this, yeah. out of this message. I think it also taps into the to the to the um, thing that mothers go through when they have to to lose their children. Um, mothers weep when children become addicts of drugs and substance abuse, and end up uh, being called monsters because of their behaviorisms. And then, um, and mothers who have to stand at the gravesides of children who died because they were shot or stabbed or killed because they were in, in, in a gang and this was the way that they died. Um, and I, I think, for example, of the lady in Lavender Hill a couple of years ago who, mm. um, who, who strangled her son. Yeah. And 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 how difficult it must have been to her to 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 say that the only solution to my problem now and to his problem is death, yeah. and 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 so on. So Jesus. So I think where where I have the uh, the, 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 the 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 tension is Jesus is saying to them that there will be further off and future tragedy. Having said that, how then do we understand the role of God in the world? Because our view always is, if God is almighty, as we say, why does he seem to allow tragedies to happen? Why does he help us live in the world where tragedy stares in the face and we as human beings are very fragile. But he does go on to say to me, therefore, that even, even in the face of tragedy, and death and all the kind of things we have, we are far more than just our physical being. We, 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 uh, what was the symbolism at, of and what is the power in weeping um mm. 
because Jesus doesn't discourage them to do this. Jesus is saying, this is a very powerful tool that you have. That you have to also make sure that you don't weep for me. I don't need the kind of tears you are weeping because you're looking at me as a as a son or as a, a son of another mother and you identify with her. But your children are going to be challenged in this world. Your tears are going to be needed for them. But what is the importance of your tears for them? Do you weep for them after the fact? Or do you weep for them before the fact? Are tears meant to be preventative of an action? Because the temptations out there are so huge and we are fragile. Um, and and um, what is the, the depiction of if people do these things when the tree is green, when there seems to be prosperity, um, you know what what happens now? What's our response is going to be when there when there is dryness, like like we're going through now? What happens when it is dry? Right now, that's exactly our experience. You know, and um, and again, here yeah, no quick fix answers. It's a real struggling and grappling. Lord, what what would this mean in a time when there are so many deaths globally? Um, and not just of elderly people, of young people as well, of, of professional people who, who could assist, um, but are succumbing to, to this disease. There's, so when the time, when the tree was green, what were we doing? Mm. You know, um, we assumed it was going to be green forever. and. Um, and now there's a challenge. Um, uh, can you imagine at this time how <laughs> dryness people are worrying about? Some people are worrying about the economy. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying we mustn't because our lives sadly are in, inter, in, in, integrated into economy or, into, in, you know, it has been so forced to be. And, and that is why, for me, it's very sad when I think of the leadership Jesus is giving here in a, pay, in, 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 in a, in a state of suffering for us, and he's, he's counseling the, the, the daughters of Jerusalem, he's affirming who they are, and the role they've got to play in the future, the role they have to play in the future. Um, we have a leadership like Mr. Trump that has never in anything that I've heard him say so far, he never said He's saddened by the deaths that have happened and con condolences to the families. He cannot admit to that because he wants to see the tree green forever. Right now in the dryness, his leadership is actually telling his nation, man, it's still green. He can't deal with, with dryness. And a leader who can't deal with dry, dryness cannot really lead, cannot affirm. Jesus sets the pace here for leaders. To be able to say yes, there's going to be a time of weeping. Yeah, and our future there's going to be full of weeping still happening. So don't just 
don't don't assume that this is all over. Um, but it's a very challenging um, uh, station. In the mission, in the mission, I said um, that they they were the powerless and the voiceless. These are the women. They were the powerless and the, and the, and the, and the voiceless. Whoever calls called them daughters of Jerusalem in a in that kind of uh, affirming way, and they were showing solidarity probably with his mother, his parents, um, but also with him, because pain is met by, by weeping and sadness and grief. Um, and so should I conclude with a prayer for that one, uh, Lindsay? Yeah. Lord Jesus, thank you for recognizing and affirming the women who followed you on the Via Dolorosa. Thank you for calling them and us to weep for our generations of powerless people, among them women and children and others. Help us to show solidarity with our tears and grief for the struggle. And as we walk in the experiences, give us courage, wisdom and strength to assist them. So we yeah, go on so to the 10th we'll, station. Yes, the 10th station, which is Jesus reaching the summit of the cross um, yeah. and being crucified. We adore you, O Christ, and we bless you, because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Luke 23, 33-34. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. I made um, a point about the place of the skull, and I remember the sermon I preached not so long ago, where this text came up before Lent. And... and um, for the first time, I recognized uh, two things about this text. In fact, three things about the text was that Jesus had come into a context where the skull is rep represented as the, the, the place of death. And I said here, yeah, mm. it's a place where the stench of death hung in the air because others had previously been there. It was also the place where death was advocated, crucified in. And thirdly, it was a place where, which identifies itself with criminality and criminals. So it was really a dark space. Um, the same thing in the air. In all of that, Jesus talks to the Father. And, and his words to the Father was intercessory, petitioning the Father on behalf of those who were um, crucifying and putting him to, the, to, to, to death, as it were, a very horrible death. Um, and what does that teach us then? Um, when, when the stench of death is in the air. Right now, that's what we experience when you look at the numbers of people dying. The stench of death is in the air. 
what to whom are we praying and what are we saying in our prayers the 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 jesus was praying for others right now we could be so caught up in our fear that we're only praying for the protection of ourselves and our families jesus is praying mm. for other people he, the pain of his own death was not the priority for him the priority for him was to in prayer draw his father into that context and in the context asking the father to act and how does he ask the father to act not in judgment but in mercy and forgiveness and he even justifies why the father should give them forgiveness he says because they really don't know what they're doing now was that was were, were those that didn't know what they were doing only the soldiers that had put the nails in his hands and feet or was it everybody along the way that pilot for example the sanhedrin uh judas were they included in that for they really did not know what they were doing they so we as human beings do not know the magnitude of the choices we make when we do things and say things after the fact somebody may come back and say you know what you said or what you did actually was very offensive and it hurt me and then we have to say you know i my intention wasn't like that i wanted to be honest and i'm sorry yeah. that what had come out hurt you so it leads us to the point if we're not arrogant but humble enough to hear what the other person is saying it also leads us to a point of reconciliation and so jesus in battling the stench of death the pain of the nails in his hands and being put up hanging in the in a very awkward way all that he could think of was father abba daddy god i'm calling on you to act and so jesus was in a way interceding in he was he was standing in between the father who could possibly bang all of these people to death in one blow yet father your action must be forgiveness as the tool <sighs> what a powerful but the counterpoint so uh, we in one of this sermon asking tapi if possible taken from him. so yeah. at this point comes a foregone conclusion that he would face this death so he probably knew this so if things are just folding as what he fear the wrath of god on who were just in enacting the scripture were at least playing out their roles in the story that was ultimately going to only in one way yeah again you see 
I think uh, 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 you 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 may be bringing up the, the thought of uh, this was predestined that they were predestined yeah. to be part of this. Well, if it was predestined, then and they were all going to be part of that. The individuals that were part of that, the people whose mm. names we know and people's names we don't know. Um, would it be predestined that as a result of the breakdown of our relationship with God because of our disobedience and therefore our sin, be that God would judge us? That's the the, the reaction. The the um, that's the the reward you get when you when you when you are disobedient. Yeah. But what was Jesus showing about God in that? Even though it is possible, I mean, if we were if we had the opportunity to interview those people along the road, if we had to sit and say, "Okay, you were one of the soldiers on the road," yeah. you, what was your thoughts about Jesus? Remember, this is after the fact. Our interview mm. would be to say, "What were you experiencing along the road? Did you ever think that you'll be called to do this?" Do you think this was part of God's plan that you should be doing this? And I'm sure none of them would have even understood it to be that way. So again, here was Jesus witnessing to the true nature of God. That God's ultimate intention with us is not destruction. And in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, captures this for me. Jesus says, for God so loved the world. He's talking this to Nicodemus. Now, also somebody who served on the council. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anyone who believes in him uh, will, will not perish but have eternal life. But verse 17 is, you cannot read verse 16 without verse 17. I've learned, um, uh, for God sent his son into the world not to condemn it but to redeem it. So that was the model of expression on the cross. That even if in some way these people were, were part of the plan, the intention was never to destroy them, but to forgive them. Um, and, and so Jesus is expressing the true nature of God, the true purpose of God, rather than, you know, if you do something wrong, there'll be punishment, which is how the world would work. Um, our God, it's punishment enough when somebody says to us when we do wrong, I, um, but I forgive you. <laughs> Because the <laughs> audacity of our sins mm. would then say, does it really deserve forgiveness? Mm. But so is Jesus witnessing, therefore, to the true nature of God in that prayer of intercession. It's very interesting, very interesting. So shall I lead it to, to prayer? Lord Jesus, you found yourself on our behalf in the place where the stench of violence, crime, and death 
was nauseating. And all you could think to do was to turn to the Father in prayer. Looking beyond your pain to the world's need for the Father's forgiveness. Teach us how to be prayerfully forgiving and to become agents of reconciliation. And then to conclude this section, you would just take us through the prayer at the time of 19 and give your blessing until we reconvene. Okay. So let us pray together as we think of the now over a million people who have been affected, infected, as we think of the over 70,000 that has died, as we think with gratitude of the over 200,000 that have recovered, as we think of health professionals, and as we think of each nation, the leaders, we think especially of those who are in poverty. Author of life, healer of the nations, grant us courage to face our trial. Give us wisdom to find relief. Give us faith to live responsibly. Grant us your salvation for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. I encourage you to to pray as Jesus taught us in the words of the Our Father. Now may God, who is King of the universe, bless you, enrich your lives with every good and perfect gift, and command us to show his splendor to all his children, even at this time, and to praise him with our lives of love, justice, and joy. And we ask that you, Lord, may receive this our uh, offering of thanksgiving as we follow the stations of the cross. Bring us all at length to your perfect kingdom where you live and reign with the Son and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. And in conclusion, please sing the hymn, Be Still, My Soul. The Lord is on our side.